In today's episode of Board Game Impact, Josh and I talk about the games we've been playing recently, talk about some news going on in the board game hobby, do a deep dive into the fan favorite game Root by Leader Games, as well as talk about a myriad of Kickstarters that are going on right now for your benefit. Enjoy. Welcome to Board Game Impact. On Board Game Impact, we seek to combine our passions for the board game hobby as well as our education and experiences for your benefit so that way you can know what experiences we're having in the hobby for your game group and your benefit so that way you can get even more enjoyment out of this awesome hobby that's given us so much. My name is Bruce Brown. And I'm Josh Isringhausen. And, and we are your hosts. Oh, we did it at the same we time. We did it. Uh, so cute. Uh, um, so for those who haven't been here in a while, yes, Josh has joined the show. I'd recommend you go back to the last episode and check that one out, um, in which we kind of go into a full history on Josh a little bit, talk out, talk out how him and I had met and kind of came together because of this awesome hobby of game together at conventions, some of the things that he likes. So go listen to that, but I'm sure a lot of that will come out in the show. So... Something we talked about in the last episode is that with bringing Josh onto the show, we're going to be trying out some different formats and things. So we've actually got not one, not two, not three, but four different segments for you today um, in trying something out. And so this should be pretty fun. But we're going to start out first by saying and talking about what things have been going on for us lately in the hobby so that way you can know and make informed decisions on knowing, hey, how are they staying engaged in the hobby? And so I'm going to jump right in, Josh, if that's all right with you. Go for it. All right, so the most recent thing I've been doing, and actually what I'm going to be spending all day on uh, in two days playing, um, so a couple days before this recording went live, is I built the entire Daedalus Productions Incorporated Gloomhaven insert. So Gloomhaven, for those of you who are not familiar, is an amazing game made by Isaac Childress, uh, who's with Cephalofair Games. It was a Kickstarter, super popular, so popular, they put out another Kickstarter for it. Number one game on Board Game Geek. It is essentially Dungeons and Dragons role-playing game in in a box. And so in the game, you can play up to 94 different scenarios. But with that being said, I said up to. So you won't necessarily play all the different things, but there has to be enough content for that many scenarios. So actually, what's crazy is the box weighs over 20 pounds. <laughs> and so, Josh, I didn't even open this thing up until I got the Daedalus Productions insert in. Have you ever seen or like well played Gloomhaven? I have not. I have seen the box in person only on your shelf uh, one time. Um, I've heard a lot about it. I have a couple friends here in New Orleans who play uh, pretty regularly, but I have not myself had a chance to sit down. It's one of those games that looks phenomenal it sounds amazing i have a really hard time with legacy games which i know is strange considering i spent a good chunk of time last recording talking about a legacy game but the challenge for me is getting a consistent group back to the table especially gloomhaven is so long um and i already have a couple role-playing groups that get together on a regular basis. So that kind of fills that niche for me at this point. That makes sense. So actually, I had been playing uh, Monster of the Week uh, role-playing game and then also Dungeons & Dragons for a while, but then our dungeon master had a baby. 
And um, honestly, we're using Gloomhaven to scratch that itch for us because we can't dedicate ourselves to being able to play a role-playing game right now. So him and I are just kind of having guy time. Uh, and because Gloomhaven is a game, some of the best from what pe- what other people have said, it's best to play it at like one or two players, honestly, and just to kind of dive deep and, because you can really explore more content that way. And it doesn't populate as many monsters, so the scenarios don't go on as long. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun. But the assembling the Daedalus insert, the instruction manual alone had like 27 pages because they were full pictures, almost like what you imagine a Lego like step. Uh, so it shows that like one thing you do, and that's all you do, except in this case you're adding glue and all those kind of things. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun so far, and we've already unlocked some cool content in the game. I'm going to give no spoilers for this, but it's been super fun. I'd recommend if you like Dungeons & Dragons, like board games, are interested in role-playing games, but would rather have some more structure there, not as much on the role-playing, like go check this out. Um, there's a whole ton of videos online, and I also did an unboxing of it, so you can see all the crazy content in there. And as a side note, I didn't do that video until I'd already made all the insert stuff, because I was not going to open it up and then try and put it back together without it. Um, so yeah, so Josh, what have you, what's something you've been playing lately? So uh, the most recent game that I've gotten to the table, so I, living in New Orleans, we just ended the Mardi Gras season uh, about a week and a half ago. And for those of you who don't know, Mardi Gras in New Orleans basically shuts down this city. It has been incredibly difficult. I've also had some family things come up and had to go back to Illinois a couple times in the past month. It's been hard to get to the table, but twice now I've been able to get to the table. Um, For those of you who know where this comes from, the game Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Once again, another Stonemaier game. Not surprised. uh, Talking all week or the entire episode last time we recorded about Stonemeyer. Here I am back again. Um, if anyone would like to take a guess at my favorite publisher, have at it. It's it's uh, Red yeah, Raven Games, you... right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, Red Raven uh, Games is amazing, I... but Stonemeyer Jamie is fantastic. He he blows me away every time. Um, Between Two Castles is actually not Jamie's game. Um, it is a combination of two games a mashup of two games one which was originally published by stonemeyer uh and which was between two uh cities and the castles of mad king ludwig and i don't know the designer or publisher on that one but somehow jamie got together with the designer of uh that game was able to work something out to publish uh and create this new game that is kind of a mishmash of the two. The concept is you are drafting tiles and placing them. Uh, you're working with your partners on either side of you to build a castle. Um, so you're building a castle with your person to your left and a castle with the person to your right. Drafting tiles, uh, you draft two at a time, choose the two and you will then decide with your partners which of your two castles those tiles are going into and which uh, where you're going to place them within your castle. Um, so what it takes from between two cities, it takes the, the whole mechanic of drafting and placing tiles. The difference between 
between two cities and between two castles is with cities, you are building a three by three grid with castles. Mm. It takes from the game castles of mad King Ludwig, this concept of a ridiculous, weird pattern of a castle. And so you're just taking two tiles and as long as they connect, there are a couple rules about how they have to connect. So they have to be adjacent to another tile above or below. Some tiles can be placed below different tiles, different rules. And you're trying to score your best castle. Uh, and there's a lot of different rules about scoring and how you score your castle changes depending on what types of rooms you have and what they're next to. It's a really, really, really fun game. Um, I highly encourage people to check it out if you haven't. I think it takes two games that I really enjoyed, and it definitely improves upon Between Two Cities. I think if you are deciding between these two games, definitely go with Between Two Castles. Um, Castles of Mad King Ludwig is different enough that I think it is okay to have both on your shelf. So I, I don't know. Have you played either this game or either of the games it's based on? Sadly, no, but I've been hearing a lot of great things, um, especially about uh, castles just in that, because I sometimes gravitate towards some spatial awareness games. So building those crazy patterns on the table is something that has always attracted my eye. I've just never honestly been around someone that has it. Um, but it's something that I've been wanting to check out, especially now that there's this hodgepodge collaboration. I've been wanting to try it, but no one here has it. Well, I now own all three of these games. <laughs> um, I am keeping them all three in my collection. Awesome. They scratch different itches for me. Uh, the Between Two Cities is probably not going to get played much um, at this point, but I will keep it because I have a small... OCD itch about uh, having all of Stonemeyer's games, uh, and I have it, so I might as well keep it. But I have all three of them. Next time we're together, we will definitely hit one of these to the table. Which one do you think you would take out first? Of the three, I'm going to go with Between Two Castles. I think it makes the has the most interesting interactions with the other people at the table. Between well, Between Two Cities has some interesting choices, but I think, like I said, I think Between Two Castles is just better. All right. Um, the original Castles has some interaction because there's some auctioning going on, but really it feels a lot more soli- solitaire. Hmm. So I think Like you're all that, just sitting around the table playing your own game, but happen to be playing the same game? Yeah, it, like I said, the interaction is is bidding on the different tiles and things like that. But really, once you start going down your own rabbit hole, your castle is going to look very different than everybody else's. And so while there's some competition for those pieces, it's not nearly as, in my opinion, competitive as Between Two Castles is. All right. Um, I can't wait literally cannot wait to play because honestly either way i've heard nothing but great things about all three and you've just kind of hit the nail on the head with that so i have to talk sadly in a different direction um so i finally got the opportunity my wife played this years before i did but i finally played betrayal at house on the hill which came out in 2004 have you ever played this 
I have played it. Okay. The first time I played it, I loved it. Okay. It is fallen off of my sure. list sure. of and games I, that I want to play. And I think I can speak to that right now. Um, so for those of you, who are, of you who are not familiar, Betrayal at House on the Hill it came out in 2004 by Rob Davio. And it's kind of one of those first games that lately that has more had more story and added in some elements that are kind of cool. But what you're doing is you're essentially you're exploring a haunted house and you start out in the entry and then you can stay on that floor. You can go up a floor, you can go up to the attic or you can fall into the basement and potentially get stuck there. If no one finds stairs, literally that's a thing. Um, we were also playing and I didn't know this, but we were playing with the widow's walk expansion, which came out in 2016 they didn't tell us this, and honestly, I hate to say it, but we didn't get that great of a rules explanation. They're like, it's going to be fine. We're going to teach you the rules as they come up. I had one turn. So this is a cooperative game where everybody's kind of working towards something. You're trying to find out what's going on in the house. And at some point, there's a haunt. They call it a haunt. Essentially, someone or something happens, and it could be one person versus everybody else or a new mission for everybody, or something happens in the house. So you don't know what kind of game it's going to be until you get to this point. So the haunt triggered. I literally had one turn, Josh. One turn, and then the haunt triggered. I haven't really learned the rules yet. And the one that triggered for us made it so that we couldn't speak. I was sitting there. I didn't yet know the rules of this game. I was trying to ask for the rule book to teach myself the rules, and I feel really bad about this. But then I kept having to like try and signal questions on how to t like questions about what my character can do. And sadly, we ended up after the whole thing. It it took a while. After the whole thing, we looked up that scenario, and the one thing it said on BGG was unplayable. Because the rule set that they gave to the people who were not the one character, so the one who was different, um, said you had to do this one thing. What the rule set it gave to the person who was the other thing conflicted and was different than what it gave to the other players. What I've heard and what I've looked up after this session, because I'm like, no, there's no way all of these scenarios, because there's like 50 scenarios that got added with the Widow's Walk. No way they're all like this, and I've confirmed like they're not all like that. The thing is that apparently there wasn't as much playtesting with some of these uh, with with this one, um, and we happened to for my first play get get this one scenario. So I'm willing to play it again. I'm willing to try it. Um, I've actually heard much better things about the uh, Betrayal at Baldur's Gate, which is the D&D themed one. I actually received that from my Secret Santa from BGG. So it's just we haven't gotten a chance to play it. So I'm very excited to try that. Um, but I got to say, I, will n I don't think I will try Widow's Walk again. I know that was a one and done, and I'm sorry. I know I should probably play some of these things more. I, I always do. But in all the research I've done, everything is pointing me towards not going for Widow's Walk again and go for the more updated rule sets that they had to learn from Widow's Walk and really put in more time. And I'm just, I feel bad going into it like that, but I'm kind of curious as to your thoughts on what I just said. No, I, so sadly I kind of agree a little bit. There, there are parts of that that I really, really strongly uh, agree with. The big thing, what, intrigues me a lot is that this is a game that hits a lot of people's top lists a lot of people love this game 
And I understand why. It's exactly what you said. There's a really good story element, and it is a relatively simple rule set to get your hands around. It's a really good way to introduce people to narrative-driven board games. The one word I would use to describe this game is fragile. It is incredibly, incredibly easy to break this game. And it happens because of the randomness that is involved in the game. So you are, every time you play the game, the way the house is set up is going to look different. The way the haunt triggers is going to look different. You may play a game that takes 30, 40 minutes before the haunt is triggered and everybody's stockpiled up and everything's ready to go and the haunt happens and, oh, look, the haunt has triggered and the person who is the traitor is one turn away from winning just because of the random way the game was set up. Or, in like in your case, you could play for five minutes and the haunt happens and no one knows what's going on and you're just trying to figure it out as you go. So, but by the same token, I've had both, well, I've had similar experiences to both of those. Okay. I've had really, really broken early games. I've had really, really broken late games. The first time I played this game, like I said, I loved it. I was thrilled. I went out and I immediately bought it for myself. And that was because it was a phenomenal story and it worked really well. And when it works well, it is a wonderful experience to have. Everybody's excited. Everything is, everybody's having a good time. When it all works out, it's great, but it's very easy to not work out well. Now I will say a good friend of mine, in addition to betrayal at Baldur's gate, which I have not had a chance to play, but I've heard better things about than House on the Hill. There is also a legacy game just that came just out. came out. Yep. And a good friend of mine has it, has played it. Allegedly, you, it is set up as a legacy game that you don't need the same people to play every hmm. time. Hmm. The story can develop without adding and dropping players pretty simply according to uh, the person who has it. And they have allegedly fixed a lot of these issues. I've not played, uh, but I have been asked to sit in on a couple sessions. And so I'm definitely going to give it a shot. Like I kind of talked about last recording, I'm the type of person that if everyone else is enjoying it, I will give it a shot and I will try and see how it works. So I'm willing to to give this a second chance, but in terms of the original base game or the Widow's Walk, I am actually getting rid of them out of my collection. I just don't have a strong desire to to sit down with these anymore, um, just based on how fragile they can be. And I really appreciate you talking about that. And it sounds like the new one, the legacy one, is kind of fascinating. I'm very curious as to how that works because that's a big thing with legacy and campaign style games 
And that is that, like, hey, am I going to be able to get the same people? So you're going to have to let us know how that goes after you do that. Um, but I also thank you. I, th- I think I just really, I, I didn't expect to go that deep, honestly. Um, but I think I just needed to process all that. Um, but it's good to hear that you've kind of felt some of the same things. Uh, but like I said, I cannot wait to play Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. Also, I've already talked about D&D and role-playing game theme things. So it also might also kind of trigger some deeper things inside of me and inside of the players because those are also up our alley so i'm excited about it all right josh what do you got so the like i said i have not had a lot of time to play a lot of games but the thing that i have been doing more recently i started scratching an itch that i did not know i had and that is i have begun painting warhammer minis um so warhammer 40k or warhammer 40,000 the combat tactile uh tactical combat miniatures game i went out and we have lost josh he has come to the dark side (laughs) no this is actually phenomenal i cannot wait to hear about this so i i went out i decided um i live three blocks away from games, a games workshop store. Um, it games workshop is the publisher of Warhammer 40,000 and, um, similar games based in the, the Warhammer universe. Uh, I went out, I bought the starter set along with a starter set of paints. The, Long-term goal here is I have a couple actual board games. So Anachrony, uh, I just is one of my favorite games by uh, of all time. Yep. For, by Mind Clash, yes. Um, and I have some really great minis for that game. I have some minis from the Godfather uh, that I've wanted to paint for a while. I've just never done a lot of miniatures painting. So I wanted to try my hand at it. There was a sale. I got the starter set for a pretty reasonable price. I'm obsessed. I, (laughs) this is, I, when I am not out at a game night or going out for drinks or dinner or whatever if i'm not being social whenever i need my introvert me time this is the perfect activity to have it's something that we can sit on the couch me and my fiance and watch tv and i can kind of paint some miniatures and it's something to do with my hands and kind of think about that's not taking a whole lot of my time or focus I can be with someone without having to hold a conversation or, you know, very casually hold conversation. It's just a really great way for me to relax and de-stress at the end of the day to do something that I enjoy with my hands that is focused, but mindless. If that description makes sense, I, don't have to really think hard about what I'm doing, but I am focused on something and my energy is putting into being put into something productive in quotation marks there productive, but um, it it makes sense. It's cathartic. 
It, it really is. I I haven't decided if Warhammer is going to be a game that I enjoy playing, just because I don't have people to play it with. But the the physical activity of putting miniatures together and painting them has been a really really great release for me and it's something that i if if you just want something to do by yourself and and to engage in that's it it's an expensive hobby don't get me wrong warhammer is i went into that store and was blown away by the pricing like it is a lot and i you know do what you can do within your budget but this is definitely something I'd recommend for people who who like a little bit of alone time or need a little bit of alone time but need something to do that is engaging and and to like one of the things I love to do is put on an audiobook and just paint for 20 or 30 minutes. It's a great way to huh. kind of wind down at the end of the day. And I'm honestly super jealous and I really appreciate you going into that deep of a dive on that and um, for those curious, tabletop miniatures games are really full hobby games, so you can super dive deep on them. You can read books. You can do all this painting, assembling, painting them again if you want to put green stuff on them and do it all again. But then you can actually play these games that honestly go out over hours. They have a now a new condensed version of that called Kill Team, which I really want to try, which is like squad-based instead of full army. Um, but... I have personally, Josh, I hate to say this, I have set a limit on myself and I have said that until I get through my PhD program, I'm not allowed. Because <laughs> I will go That's... off the, I will, I, I, I've been wanting to play so bad. I actually played in middle school growing up. That was cool. I was one of those kids. <laughs> I did not paint them well. I like, because you had to have three colors and so I like, dipped them and then did two colors. But then I didn't really know what the heck I was doing, but I cannot wait to finish the PhD program and get like full armies and get into this because I think that I would love just sitting there and painting just like you were talking about. Like that just sounds like a dream to have a nice relaxing thing to be able to do and then also be proud of at the end of it. I know you showed me right before this recording started one of your minis and I'm just going to say our listeners are going to have to see some of these photos get posted on like Instagram and stuff. I, I don't know if I'm progress. ready for that. All it's, right. It's not, I'm not that good. Listeners I, petition him. We will, we'll, we'll see once I get a couple things completely done. I might, I might take one or two of my better looking minis and, and put, put them up for, for everybody to list, to see. But, um, I think one hurry through that PhD program. Cause yep. I, I absolutely will put together a kill team and, Next time we are together or whenever that may be, I I will absolutely sit down and play some kill team with you. That is the route I will likely go with this. I don't see myself having the time or the desire really to go full army. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing, but I don't see myself going long term with this. It is a really relaxing, fun thing to do. But I, and, and I could see myself going whole hog. 
it would just mean no more board games. And yeah. I don't think I can do that to myself. That's fair. And I, Kill Teams is essentially the board game version of it all because you can play them in like two hours. Um, yeah. So I've got another thing real quick, and then we're going to move on to the next section. And so I actually was sent something from a publisher. Um, that I've had on the show before, and so this is from Van Ryder Games. So if you go back a couple episodes, you can listen to my, where I talk about when it was just me in the sad old days, um, uh, where I talked about Captive, which is a graphic novel adventure game in which you literally are going through a graphic novel, and every one of those panels of art has a number, and then inside of it, it's a choose-your-own-adventure, and so it'll like have, let's say you're sitting at a desk, and it might say 127 on the computer, or like, 193 on a drawer, you'll turn to the corresponding panel number and whether you want to open the drawer or interact with the computer. And so it's really immersive storytelling through pictures. Um, but I was sent a pre-production copy of the, one of their latest series. So Captive was part of season one. And so the game I was sent is called Mystery. And that's part of their season two. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a second um, because that's actually one of their Kickstarter games. So we're going to talk about their Kickstarter in a little bit. Uh, but this, so this game is not available yet. Um, but thank you, Van Ryder, for sending it. And so this game is all about... Well, first of all, Josh, have you ever gotten a chance to see these or play any of these? I haven't seen them. I haven't... Uh, I believe, actually, the episode you did with Van Ryder came out like right around the time that we recorded our first episode together. And so I was able to listen to that and I've heard about them before, but I'd never heard that deeply about them. And I, I definitely will be backing this Kickstarter when it comes out okay. without a doubt. Like it, it, I think it will scratch a similar itch for me that the painting will do. I, think it is it sounds like a really great way to spend some downtime some alone time some introvert time and I, I love graphic novels I really miss choose your own adventure that was I grew up with those um, you know late 80s uh, early 90s choose your own adventure style books and that was one of the things that I really loved as a kid. So this idea really resonates with me and I'm, I, I'm intrigued to try it when I am able to get that. Um, and so I, I didn't realize they were doing a new Kickstarter. So I'm really excited about this because I will definitely be, be looking forward to that. Um, and so, yeah. And so Josh, I will actually be sending you, I'll send you my copy of this, um, when I get through it, cause I have not finished it at all. Um, but what this one's about, um, it's different than the captive one. And if you remember in that episode, I talked like all of them are kind of different. This one is actually, you're a superhero. And essentially the, I'm just going to say like the justice league essentially needs more people to fight this evil criminal, but you are a good for nothing hero you're like level zero and so you start off at level zero you get to put some points into either and I, i'm not kidding when i say this after you name your character you put some points into either flight strength super senses yeah all three of those make sense we're used to those the last and final option being super rich yeah i mean if you think about it that is what tony stark is that is bruce wayne what bruce yep. wayne is yeah, yeah and so 
I uh, dig it. Yeah, it's re- and it's really super cool art. Um, that they've updated some of the graphics in this because all of them have like a slightly different art style. But what's cool is I've been playing this, and it'll ask me, "Hey, if you have points in this thing, turn to this page. If you don't, turn to this page. Or if you have multiple, you can choose your own adventure." Um, it's got a map, and you kind of cut. You can go and explore the city, and if you put more things into flight, for example, it says this in the introduction, then you can actually get there faster, and so that might change the way the story interacts, which is cool. Uh, something that I have to point out, so this is a pre-production copy, and so I think they're going to be changing around some of this, but uh, there's different levels of your character that they can be, and the way that you know whether or not you can do something is by looking at the color of the number in the text. And so sometimes that's, sometimes that's hard to see, uh, just because differentiating the level between like a purple and a dark blue can be a little difficult. Um, but I have had a lot of fun playing this already. Um, it's really funny how some of the stuff works and it's not like your traditional superhero stuff because what's sweet is the book is littered with QR codes. And so when you approach a new building, you can scan the QR code and it'll give you a history of that building. So you get taken to a special website and then it'll give you hints about other things in the story too. And there's, once you do certain things in the story, then other things that aren't numbers become relevant. Um, it might be if a phone's ringing, you can answer it, but until you figure out how to answer the phones, you don't know. Um, just to point, put that out there. Um, it's been a lot of fun. I cannot wait to keep going. I am still a level zero hero, even though I've been playing for a little bit today and over the last couple of days, um, just when I can. My character's name is Captain Automatic. I don't know why, but that's <laughs> what I named him. This thing is a lot of fun. If you like superheroes, if you like graphic novels, if you've ever liked Choose Your Own Adventures, check this out. But absolutely check out the Kickstarter and check out the other ones there, which I'm gonna, we're going to mention in here in a little bit when we go over some Kickstarters, which is going to be one of our final segments. So yeah, it's a lot of fun, Josh. I'm going to send it to you absolutely once I get through it. I would I would be thrilled by that. I really think uh, the concept is really interesting. I really like how people are starting to integrate some of the technology that's available to us into some games. Uh, listening to people talk about games like Detective and some of those types of things that are really, really heavily integrated. But the idea of using a QR code in a graphic novel, that's a to add some flavor and some context, that's a really neat way to go about doing that without astronomically increasing your cost or taking up a lot of space that maybe not everyone wants to explore. I think that's a really, really great way to balance the visual medium that you have with a graphic novel with giving a lot of that depth and background of knowledge that you may not have going into it. It's a really good idea. Um, my, my hat's off to Van, Van Ryder on this one. That's, that's great. Yeah. And I actually wonder if on the back end, I don't know if they're doing this or not, but if they aren't here, Van Ryder, AJ and AJ is a phenomenal human. Um, I don't know if they're doing this or not, but because I'm going from the same IP address from my phone on all of these, I'm actually curious if they can track my progress and the way I navigate the story. I don't know if they're doing that. I think it'd be freaking cool if they are, just so they know. Um, if they're not, hey, AJ, might be a good idea. But if you're curious, if just want to see how people interact with your stuff. Um, but I highly recommend checking this thing out. It's It's been a lot, a lot of fun. So yeah, awesome. so Josh, we have, um, we're going to go into our next segment here. 
And so that is going to be about just some other stuff going on. Um, this is where we can pull in maybe some news articles or things coming up, which is exactly what we're going to be doing. But we just have a couple for you today. And so Josh, sadly, or maybe not sadly, depending on your perspective, but the courts have come into the board game industry and not saying in terms of, hey, there's a game where you're Judge Judy. I'm saying the courts have actually had some decisions in the board game industry, and that is about the game Crabs Against Humidity. For those of you who are unfamiliar or who have ever seen this, it looks like a red version of Cards Against Humanity with a little crab hand sticking out. Josh, have you ever confused the two between these? You know, I can't say that I've ever confused the two. Uh, the first time I saw it, I was a little bit baffled, I guess is the proper word. Um for exactly why this lawsuit I think came about is it, it doesn't look like the game. It is clearly not cards against humanities, but it just kind of leaves you scratching your head. Like really, this is what we're doing now. Like we're not even hiding the fact that we're, we're just ripping off a, a really, really popular game. I, it was an interesting idea that, or an interesting experience the, f the first time I saw this. But I, I, I guess, give me your take on it. Sure. First. So, and listeners, what the courts have been saying, what the courts are now saying is that although with like music and stuff where it's like obviously a parody or some different art forms where it's obviously a parody, the courts have come in on this one and said, no, that doesn't hold up in this case. Uh, using the reasonable person standard, it is difficult to determine which is made by which company and that one seems like the other. Um, and so in some other things that are going on in the industry that we're not going to get into, um, just for some clarification, you cannot really like own a board game. And I know that sounds weird to say, but like you can't copyright the game. You can copyright the name. You can copyright the rule set, the text you use on cards and those kind of things. And you can hold some rights with the art. However, the game itself, like somebody can take all of your same mechanics, put a new theme on it, and then just come out with it. And although that sucks, that's just the nature of what the US laws kind of say right now. But whether or not you can doesn't mean you necessarily should. I will say that when Cards Against Humanity started coming out with some different expansion packs that got di differed from just that standard black box with white writing, that's when I started noting crabs against humidity, and I did have a hard time distinguishing the two. And so I didn't know, because there's nowhere on this very simple box um, except the back side, which is covered because it's laying down or it's on a shelf, I didn't know that they were made by different publishers until like I dug deeper. And so I actually had to like go a couple steps to figure it out so I can see where they're coming from. I just hate the fact that we have to do something like this. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Well, and so what was weird to me the first time I saw it is that it was kind of marketed as if you're tired of the cards you have in your cards against humanity deck, add these in it. They have a different background, but there's functionally no difference. And so I, I struggle with that. Like it's makes business sense. Sure. You have a multi-million dollar company that's, you know, blowing up this 
party game scene a little bit. It seems really, really ethically wrong to do it, but it makes financial sense because, like you said, there is no copyright on this mechanic. Right. This is, I, I mean, and I personally backed a game that, in my opinion, is a blatant ripoff of Cards Against Humanity with a retheme, and that retheme, and that is uh, Joking Hazards, a, a game by Night and Happiness. Mm-hmm. It is essentially Cards Against Humanity, yep. but instead of just words, it is a three-panel comic strip. Yep. And let's be honest, and Cards Against Humanity is really just apples to apples. Yes. that I mean, that's all it is. It is adult apples to apples. Yep. Absolutely. So in terms of the mechanic stuff, it it the ripping off the mechanic stuff doesn't really bother me that much, but it's the... Straight up, this is, we're going to tell you that it's essentially the same thing, just a different company, feels a little weird. Yeah. I, I I can't quite decide how I feel about it, so, right? Cause, yeah, and the reason the court said to step in on this one a little bit more, I have the case open in front of me, um, Cards Against Humanity actually did give Crabs Against Humidity limited permission back in 2013 to do a very limited very small in scope print run of this thing to be sold only on their website. Then what happened and the reason they stepped in was because Crabs Against Humidity is now available in like Target and Barnes and Noble and all these other places which violated the original permissions that the company that owns Cards Against Humanity actually gave them. And so that's why all this kind of came about. But yeah, it's I can I completely I'm right there with you about the mechanics, and also I think that in being able to not patent or not really protect the mechanics, we can actually get better games that are themed along the same lines or streamline things better. But it sounds like there was a little bit more behind the scenes on this one too. That this is just where they kind of had to step in. Yeah, and I, I mean to me, this is an re- extremely interesting suit. Um, I. I have a little bit of legal background. I am aiming to eventually get my JD um, here in the near future. Just the work that I do involves quite a bit of uh, legal understanding. So the the idea of a lawsuit in the board game industry is interesting to me. It's also kind of disappointing because it's not the type of news that I would like to see people talking about when it comes to a board game company and, and I hold no real feelings towards either of these companies, but, but they are to say that cards against humanity is not a massive player within the board game or hobby gaming scene is, is ridiculous. It is absolutely one of the Titans of this, this scene. Mm -hmm. And so to see this kind of, be the the headline, be the topic around this community is a little bit frustrating, but it, it is interesting and and it brings up some internal dialogue within myself that I, I I'm I'm left questioning a, a couple different things. Yeah, like I can't get myself to although I do own this game, it's from a different era of me playing games, just to call it. Um, now I'm not saying that I am above it. It's just. I've seen it bring some things out in players that I don't necessarily want to see happen again um, or bring some conversations up. So 
just to say it, there was a card about um, the Virginia Tech shooting. And like I work in higher education and there was another person I worked with on staff that we were playing and he went to Virginia Tech and was at, it was in residence life when that all happened. And so we intentionally took that game out of the deck because that would be super triggering for him and not something that we'd want to experience. And so, um, cause like, why would we want to do that to one of our friends? Right. Um, and so although it is something that brings a lot of people in, a lot of people get excited. There are some things in there that I think that some people should pause and see, should we add this card in or should we just look through the deck to make sure we're being inclusive for our audience? Um, just to put that out yeah. there. And, and I think, I mean, the whole mentality behind this game, right. Is it's shock shock value right it's, it's the shock jock mentality i won't deny that like i own this game as well i don't play it i don't know that i've ever actually played my personal copy i play this game relatively frequently whenever i'm around friends who don't play games because this is what they want to play and again i i have fun with it it's you're sitting around you have a couple of drinks it's a stupid thing to do right Cries, no um, thought. Yeah, and and it's it's fun. It brings joy and laughter. Um, there are definitely some things that you could definitely see as being uncomfortable for people who have a really strong personal connection. Yep. But it again, it, it kind of bringing back to the kind of lawsuit. It's. It, this mechanic or this idea behind it is is nothing new. It's something that's been around forever. And, and so the conversation is really interesting around this game as a whole. And then you add in this different element, this different layer of the 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 somebody else kind of just blatantly taking that and saying, this is our own. And we're going to I hadn't heard about the the straight up ignoring of a previously agreed upon uh, discussion because I've been seeing this the first time I saw this was in a game shop and so yeah of course that's very different than going to a very specific website to order it and so that that is incredibly interesting to me that 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 is the extent we had to go to 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 reach this conclusion. Yeah. Um, so let's go to a different note. Um, and that is, there's some news that just came out that I am super excited for. I cannot wait. This is a game there. A game is coming back out after nearly 40 years of being out of print. I'm not kidding. 40 years. Now, don't get me wrong. A company lost their lights to it. They came out with another game that just was just, same everything, but a different theme. Not the same, though. Um, and that game is Dune, based on the book Dune. Now, I grew up, Josh, I grew up playing like Dune 2000, the real-time strategy game that's kind of like Command and Conquer. And I fell in love with the Dune lore. Um, I've been reading through the book. It's one of the best science fiction books ever made. I've never gotten to play this game. And also, just so listeners know, that game that I was talking about that got this was essentially the reprint of, um, that was Rex, which was in the Twilight Imperium universe, which, again, is Fantasy Flight Games uh, and with Christian Peterson 
and uh, they had the rights to Dune, but then lost it and had to come out with Rex. But this game, I cannot wait, Josh. Like, were you ever into Dune? Are you into this? So get ready to be blown away here. Um, so Dune, for listeners who aren't aware of this, uh, a book uh, written in like the late 60s, I want to say, by Frank Herbert or Habert. Herbert. That's it's it. Herbert. I have the book in my hands. Herbert. I listened to Dune on audiobook for the first time two months ago. Oh my gosh. And just for clarification, 1965. 65. I I had never li- I had heard Jen like write jokes and when you're in like the general nerd culture you hear about these types of things. I had never read read the book. I'd never Really paid that much of attention to it. Uh, it happened to go on sale on Audible a while back. I was like, yeah, no, this is worth giving a shot. Wow. <laughs> I, I am currently in love with it. I'm uh, halfway through Dune Messiah, the second book in the series. Um, it, it's, it's phenomenal. And actually, interestingly enough, I did not know there was ever a game originally based around this. Mm -hmm. But while I was listening to it, a conversation had popped up on a Facebook group I'm a part of, which was what piece of pop culture would you like to see a game made around? Or do you think would make a good game? And I was in the middle of listening to the first book on audiobook and I was like Dune would make a great game and so I looked it up I was like has anyone ever made a game around <laughs> Dune and so I google it I'm looking lo and behold there's a copy for sale on eBay for $250 oh my god this. I'm like well I guess I'm not going to ever get to play this game so I was thrilled when they announced a reprint of this. I, I'm really, really excited. I think this is going to be fantastic. It will definitely be on my shelf. Uh, it will, I am promising myself now not be on my shelf of shame of games <laughs> that I own and don't play. I will definitely get this to the table. I, I, I'm really, really thrilled to have seen that there's going to be a reprint of this. I was, I, I'm loving the series and it was completely unrelated to this announcement that I just kind of stumbled upon it. I'm really, really happy. So this is all coming out from Gale Force nine. And I, Josh, I did not know that you were reading the book and things like, this is just something I heard about the other day. It, I got super excited and just could not wait. And so I'm real glad that this is like peaking all the interest for you. Because guess what? That means by the time this comes out, we're going to hopefully get to play at conventions. And that's going to be freaking sweet. Uh, I will say, though, have you, have you seen the movie, the old movie? I have not seen the old movie, but I have heard they are coming out with a new movie. They are, and potentially more than just that. And that's part of how Gale Force 9 got the rights to this, because uh, they're trying to also create buzz around it, of course. Uh, but the old movie is awesome. It is slower paced, almost like a Blade Runner type pace. Um, but mm-hmm. it's phenomenal. 
And so I cannot wait for this to come out. And listeners, like you will be hearing about this game. Um, you'll probably be seeing a lot about this game as it starts to come out because people have been eagerly awaiting a replant for this because the price Josh quoted of like $200, like that's cheap uh, for what these games have been going for. And that $200 probably was for a incomplete game. And I'm not kidding about that because that's what they go for at market value right now. It's nuts. Yeah, uh, I, that doesn't surprise me. Um, like I said, I just I looked and I was yeah, nope, this is not gonna happen. Um, it was not in good shape. The game that was being advertised, I will say, it was pretty beat up. But it's a game that's what it was printed thirty six years, years ago. Thirty six years ago, like uh, yeah, I it it amazes me. But I'm really excited i'm really hoping i've heard good things about rex so mm -hmm. i've never played rex i'm not really familiar with the twilight imperium setting so it's just never been a, a, a an interest of mine but i have heard good things about mm -hmm. the game so i'm really excited to see how they do this um similarly a company just did a reprint of an older game that uh, i'm loving right now which is endeavor age of sale yep um so i'm hoping they kind of do something similar where they take the the game that is already a great game and add some modern uh, elements to it in terms of some some new mechanics uh while still leaving it pretty much alone so I'd be I'm really, really looking forward to seeing how all of this shakes out and how this game develops. Yeah, so it's going to be coming out. I don't know a release date, but listeners, you'll be seeing it from us. We'll probably be posting on social media about it when it comes in because I think it's an Insta back for both of us. And I don't think Absolutely. it's going Kickstarter. I think it's going direct to retail, which makes it probably come out a little faster, hopefully. Knock on wood. Um, go ahead. Let's hope. Yeah, let's hope. Um, so that's going to be it for our news stuff. Um, stay tuned because we're going to come right back and with something that I know you've been wanting for a while, and that is a deep dive on Root. Welcome back to Board Game Impact. So we've already talked about some stuff we've been playing. We've been talking about some stuff in the news. Now let's talk about a game a little bit at nauseum and for a good reason. Um, but this one is, we're really rooting for this one uh, because it's Root, um, a game that's been super popular. It was on Kickstarter. Yeah, by the way, I make really bad puns. Um, hashtag bad dad jokes. Um, not a father yet. But hey, why not practice? Um, that, that was, sorry, that I'm was not sorry. Route. Yeah, that was that rough. Was really, really rough, Bruce. Would you say it was a, the root cause of all my issues? I'm <laughs> not going to touch that one. That's not fine. touching that one. Okay, so this is something we've been uh, kind of doing on the show for a while, and that's where we really like focus in on one one game. And so uh, we're going to be bringing that into these episodes from time to time. And so this one we're going to be talking about root which uh, came out on Kickstarter. It's a game by Leader Games. Uh, Leader Games uh, had a game before this called Vast. 
And they're both similar in that they're both asymmetric. However, Root took this to a whole new level and was really blown up on the board game, uh, board game platforms all around the world. Uh, just the other week at South by Southwest, which is a convention as well as festival here in Texas, in Austin, Texas, Root actually won Tabletop Game of the Year for 2018. And so what Root is, it's an asymmetrical game. And by asymmetric, we mean that every single player has different powers. What's fascinating about Root is they kind of took that and went to an extreme and said, we're not only going to give you extra powers, we're going to give you your own mechanic. And so every single player sitting at the table for a game of Root is technically working towards the same goal of earning 30 points, that's at least what the goal is to start the game. There's some other side variants that you can play. But you're working to earn 30 points. But how you're going to do that is going to be very different. Essentially, it brings into the game the reality that people come to every experience in life with different motivations, with different ways of looking at the world, and puts that into practice by using different mechanics. So one player might be playing a Euro-style game where they're doing resource management, building buildings, collecting those resources, and building more buildings to win. Another game might be playing, a person might be playing more area control through program movement, in which you actually have to put down cards, execute your command line, and go ahead. Another player is actually playing more like subterfuge and trying to spread influence throughout the board and create an uprising. And then finally, there's one person actually playing a cooperative style game in this competitive environment. Root is a strategy-based game. Uh, Josh and I have both been playing this. And the real thing that I think has really helped Root get noticed is the fact of its theme. It's called Root because it takes place in a forest. And the story is that the birds are the aristocracy who have ruled over the forest for quite some time. And the cats, the mortal enemy of the birds, have said, no, not you. Uh, and I say it like that because they're actually called the Marquis de Cat. Um, so they're very French. I don't know what they got against the French, but the cats have taken over the forest. They literally start the game with uh, people on every single space of the board except one, and that's the corner where the birds are li living. The birds are trying to take back control of the forest. And so there's another faction that legitimately doesn't even start on the board, and that's the Woodland Alliance. They're, they don't like being represented by the cats. They don't like being represented by the birds. These are the mice and the common folk, and they're there for the people. And so what they're trying to do is create that uprising. And then finally, the cooperative style player is the Vagabond. This is represented by a trash panda. Yes, a trash panda, a raccoon. And they're trying to go around as different powers to try and play a cooperative style game by going on some little quests, getting cards from other players, and having a lot of fun. And so let's dig into Root. Okay, Josh, we are talking about Root. Um, this is a fantastic game with a lot going on, and it's really caught the imagination of a lot of people. What? Tell me about your experiences with Root, just real quick. So real quick, uh, here's what I will say about Root. I think this is a really, really well-designed game. Um, I. It's interesting. Last time we recorded, you talked about playing Raccoon Tycoon. And when you talked about the aesthetic of that game in terms of the artwork, in terms of what it looks like on the table and the box, it really reminds me a lot about Root. 
specifically, the what what's funny about I think Root particularly because I've played it and it, from what it sounds like with Raccoon Tycoon is it looks super cute on the board and the theme sounds super cute. This is not a cute game. Nope. This is this is a really intense war strategy game that just has cute little woodling creatures as its theme. Yeah. And so I you know the the interactions between players are this game is set up in a really, really interesting way. And I actually, I really, really love uh, their older, this company's older games. I loved Vast. Vast yeah. was, thank you. Vast was a really, really great game. Yeah, you and I um, played it together. Yeah, and, and I, I own Vast. It unfortunately does not make it to the table often enough because one of the challenges with, a game an asymmetrical game in general but specifically these games fast and root is it takes a lot to learn each player's abilities mm -hmm. and so really each time you sit down at the table if you're playing a character you've not played before you're really learning an entirely new game so it there is a pretty high barrier to entry with this game yeah. and I, I, I will give it that is a little bit of a knock in terms of now i think they improved a lot between bast and root i think root does a lot better job of lowering that barrier to entry it's the the mechanics are a little bit more simplified than the mechanics in vast the the difference i think the big difference is in root everyone is working towards the same end game whereas in vast the game ending mechanic was different depending on what character you were playing so if you were playing the in, in vast being a little bit more fantasy driven um, if you were playing the dragon you ended the game in an entirely different way than if you were playing the knight who had to kill the dragon. Mm -hmm. And so that I think diminishes the barrier to entry a little bit. Yeah. And so I appreciate you bringing that up about like the different end goals. Cause what I found with root is because you have the same goal, right? Uh, it at least has that common thread. And so I'm not having to learn what does it take for me to win the game? I'm having to learn how do I get there? What I have, yes. what I have appreciated with root is the fact that sometimes I'm just going to call it. Sometimes I don't want to play an aggressive style game. I don't want to play an all out war. So if you're the birds, like you are trying to go out and you're trying to knock down your enemies and you're trying to, plant your roosts and take over the board. If you're playing the cats, you're trying to hold on to what you can have, what you have, and it's constantly slipping out of your hands, but you're playing whack-a-mole. If you're the if Woodland Alliance, you're trying to spread that influence, you're trying to like cause eruptions, and if you're the vagabond, you're trying to make partnerships with people a little bit. But the reason I say all that is 
Some days I don't feel like playing the aggressive style game. And you know what? I'll be the vagabond. And I'm just going to go around. I'm going to have fun. I don't have to deal with any of their stuff. I can just go and I can trade cards and play my own kind of game that's different. So cooperative style. And so what's nice about it is I don't have to learn a new end condition for a game. All I have to do is to learn this one little part but it facilitates a whole new experience, so it gives me new life every time I get out to play it. And then whatever other factions we bring in can also change that. And so that's actually what has really got the base game itself really coming out for me. Um, and I've personally played this at four players, I've played this at three players, I've played this at five players, I've played this, um, and I think you've played this a little bit different too, is that right? Yeah, and, and so I, I will add uh, very briefly, we'll talk a little bit more about the expansion content here in a second, but when, when Bruce says talking about a five-player game, yeah, sorry um, about that. I've even played it up to a six-player game. That is only available with the expansion content, the, the initial expansion being the Lizard Cult, River Folk, and Second Vagabond. But um, we'll, we'll talk about that here in a second. The, the player count, I think... A, player count is actually one of the reasons why I've played this game as much as I do. I talked a little bit about this last time, but my player count tends to be in the five to six player range. And unfortunately, most of the games that I love are in the four player. And so we're a little bit restricted as to the games that we play when we hit that five player so this is one of the t games that has hit the table a lot in recent months, largely because, A, everyone really, really enjoys this game that I play with. Um, there are multiple people in my game group who want to play this game constantly. And the other thing is is it, it, it scratches that need for a, a five- or six-player game, and it relatively... It plays well at a five and six player game. It does get to, in my experience, a little bit of the challenge, which is the more players you have, you can feel like you're just sitting there waiting for a while. Uh, turns can take a little while in this game. And so when you get into that five and six player range, sometimes it can be a little overwhelming in terms of you it becomes very difficult, especially if you're new, to track what everyone is doing. And it can feel like you're just kind of sitting there waiting for your turn and not quite understanding. And the board can change dramatically. You talked about this being different mechanics, and there are different mechanics, but the one thing I'd push back on is at the end of the game day, almost all of these character types are looking for area control. If you don't control large swaths of area, you're going to struggle with everything except for the Vagabond. You're 100% really. right. And so the the state of the board can change dramatically between your turns, especially when you're at that five-player mark of there were three major battles that happened between the last time I took the around and now. And that can be a bit of a challenge, but it's also really exciting because it keeps things new and, and interesting um, turn to turn. And it keeps you engaged even when it's not your turn because 
you need to know what's happening and what's changing on the board state. Yeah, and um, I think you hit the nail on the head with all of that. Something that's been fascinating for me to watch, going back to some of my points and kind of leaning in on yours. So you win the game when you get to those, those 30 points, unless you do one of the other victory conditions, which triggers. You can read up on the rules to figure that out because uh, you can't do it until you're a third of the way through the game anyway. Um, but what's fascinating is, so there's a guy in our game group here in, in Texas. Um, I don't know if you know him. His name's Conrad. Do you know Conrad? I met Conrad at BGGCon this last All right, fall. so Conrad's getting his PhD in mathematics. And so Conrad played as the Cats. And when Conrad approaches a game, especially a more Euro-style game, so for the Cats it is more of a Euro-style game, he tries to find how can I find the sharp point of this and how can I break it? And so when he was playing as the Cats, I also think we didn't really do all that we should have at, a, at like two crucial points, but the dude scored 39 points at the end because that last turn he went from one point, which is below 30, and at the end of his turn, we just figured it out. Like I want to see how high he actually just got. He went up to 39 points. Now what's fascinating about all that is the way Root is designed, he was so intrigued by trying to figure out, okay, but how do you work, and how do you work, and how do you work, that he has constantly asked for this game to come back to the table because he wants to like, live those different experiences and doesn't understand, like he does understand, but doesn't understand how all these different types of experience can live in the same ecosystem because uh, that's not something we see in games. And so although he's kind of like figured out some strategies that like, he will freaking win, this game has presented enough opportunity that he wants to challenge himself and try something new, which is really cool. And I'm actually really glad that that brought that out in him. It's cool to watch that happen. Yeah. And I think there are a couple things that you mentioned there that I think are really interesting about this game. One being the, the being able to learn and try different mechanics, right? You're, if you play the cats and you figure out, okay, this is how this works and this is how I win with this faction. Now let me try the birds. And this is a whole different mechanic and a whole different strategy to figuring out how to play this game. And, and I think that breathes a lot of life into the game in terms of wanting to replay it more and more and more. And I think that's one of the reasons why this game hits the table a lot for my game group. I have been, I, I tend to be a little bit more passive in my character selection in my game group. And so I've actually not had the chance to play with all of the factions. I've only played with the cats and the birds um, in my game group. And I have I've, thankfully gotten the chance to play as every single faction. I played as the Woodland Alliance my first, very first game ever, and I didn't know what was happening, and I didn't really feel like I understood that that faction well enough to really play it. And so I don't even consider that first play as having experienced it because I didn't do anything right. <laughs> so I really want to try some of these different character factions i think that would be helpful for me getting a better idea about this game the other thing you said about this though is the need to know the about the different ways in which people win i think that learning this game is a lot of fun mm -hmm. i think playing this game with people who are learning it 
can be frustrating. And that is because either you need to be everyone is learning the game or if you have one person who knows you mentioned the scoring 39 points with the Marquis de Cat in the last turn. This game is incredibly swingy and it is possible to make those massive swings in one turn unless everyone at the table knows what to watch for. You really need to work together in order to prevent those massive swings. So there are different points in the game where the cats are really, really potent or where the Woodland Alliance has the ability to just completely run away with it. Unless everyone else at the table knows that that is happening and knows the strategy that is being employed, it can be really easy to miss that. And then it feels a little bit frustrating because you're like, well, I saw this. I knew this is ha- I knew how to stop this, but no one else at the table would work with me to prevent this massive swing. And and so it's fun to learn that, right? It's really fun to be the person learning that. It can be incredibly frustrating to be the person just watching it happen and knowing that you're powerless to stop it. Mm-hmm. Or you're not in a position on the board, and you can say things, but you're not in a position on the board to do anything about it. Um, I've been fortunate in every play of it that we have had. It's been some of the same players, most of the same players, but it's been everybody saying, I want to try a different faction. So it's constantly been that learning. So I've been pretty privileged with that, and I'm thankful for that. So thanks, gamers. Um, but I can totally see that, Josh. So there's a little bit more. I'm talking about night. Spoke too soon about this. My apologies. But that was as soon as I started playing this game and saw some of these interactions. Anything that brings out these kind of interactions in players, like, I want to see what else it can do. And so I immediately bought the expansion, which if you back the Kickstarter, you got the expansion for free. And so I paid another MSRP to get the expansion on this. And that was for the expansion content. It's called the, um, I can't I think of the name, or the River Folk. It's, River a, Folk. it's a River Folk expansion. Um, adds in the Lizard Cult, which literally is a lizard cult in which you can sacrifice your people in order to do some stuff on the board. Um, but also you can put down little um, gardens on the board, which essentially are kind of like your temples. And if you have gardens out there, then you control those areas. You can convert people. So you are a cult. You can convert people to your side. Another faction it brings in is the river folk, which are the otters. They're adorable. They're this like light aqua color. Um, they are traders. Their hand of cards is open, and they essentially have a market. And there is a like a little river that runs through the board. They're the only people that can use it. But other people can pay the otters for that ability to use it for their turn. The It also adds in, because the Vagabond is like a, a favorite of people, just the fact that there's a trash panda, it's just got like this cult following. And so they added in a second Vagabond with all new types of... Um, quests and different things you can add on but also added in because let's face it a lot of kickstarters are doing this added in a solo mode um it added in a mechanical marquee um with two different styles of play for the cats because the cats are honestly kind of really required in all of the expansion scenarios that you play because they take up almost every spot on the board so it gives you a lot more to do so if you want to play without the cats but you kind of still need the cats in the game. There is this mechanical faction, um, and you can choose the two different play styles, which is a cool thing I haven't seen with um, 
AI before in the past. So Josh, have you been able to play with any of the expansion content? So I have not personally played with any of the expansion content as the player of those, but I think every game that I've actually played of this has involved at least one of the expansion uh, character factions. The most common is the river folk. Everyone really enjoys the river folk. Uh, It is a really fun faction to play with because it gives a little bit of diversity to the your ability to manage your hand size. Now there's a little bit of debate within my gaming group about the use of the river folk because the person sitting directly next to the river folk has a distinct advantage in that they can purchase any card that the river folk draws on their turn. By the time it gets around the board, especially when you're at that four, five, six player player count, most of the good cards have been purchased by the time it gets back around to the river folk. So there's a little bit of debate there around uh, the use of that faction, but it definitely is incredibly fun and you can manage your prices. And so that's kind of the, the flip side to that is if the river folk is playing well, and the person directly next to them is really, really winning, they jack up the prices of their cards. Mm -hmm. And the person who's winning may not be able to afford them or will only be able to afford one versus maybe two of the cards. And so it gives other people a little bit more of a chance. So there's definitely some some interesting decisions that get made with with the otters. And so what's interesting about the otters is we haven't talked about a currency, and that's because there isn't a currency in the game. The otters, people pay you in literally their meeples, their little characters on the board. And so not on the board, but like their personal supply, and they'll give you those little characters to do anything in the game um, if you're trying to get something from the river folk. Now, what's kind of fascinating about it too, and Josh, I appreciate you talking about the order of the seating, there actually is a order that you're supposed to sit. And so every one of these factions comes with a letter of the alphabet and you're supposed to sit around the table in alphabetical order. And so it makes a difference. Uh, I'm just listeners. Josh is giving a face like I just blew his freaking mind. And so the first player is always supposed to be the cats. The second player is always supposed to be the birds. So that's A and B. And I believe C is the Woodland Alliance. And then as you get to the lizard folk and all them, it's like H and things like that. So they will be sitting closer to the end. Um, If you think about it, the Woodland Alliance, since they're causing like subterfuge in the game, they should not be buying things from the otters. Like they are not really working together. The otters are trying to trade more with the birds and the cats first and then the other people. So Josh, I need you to unpack the face you just made. This is a rule that was entirely overlooked by my game group. And so we'll get into closing thoughts here in a minute. Yeah. I have not played this game in a while for some very particular reasons. And I wanted to try and bring it back just to give it a second chance. And now with that knowledge there is an incredible need for me to bring this game back to the table (laughs) with that understanding because that completely 
changes the dynamic of the game. And probably, and I'm just taking a shot in the dark here because I've never played like this, but probably balances that issue that I've always had with the inclusion of the otters significantly. Because you're right. I, I, I think also other factions, the factions that have the hardest time getting cards and need the most specific cards are probably the cats and the birds. Mm-hmm. So it makes a lot of sense that they should have earlier picks of them. I'm I'm really interested to see what that organized seating chart would do with our game group. Yeah, and so it's kind of also like Twilight Imperium on this in which you have to sit in a certain order and that affects like when you get to do things to start the game. Um, so yeah, so on the ba- Josh, on the back of the boards and listeners, on the back of the boards, it has like the starting setup and it's easy to miss. So like Josh, you did not miss something that was like right out in the open because there's a lot of little rules to this game, especially when you're also trying to unpack the rules for your own people. But next to the name of your character, it's got in parentheses a letter. And there's like maybe one or two lines in the rule book that say this thing total of the whole rule book. And so like that's where that exists. Just so you know, it's not in the rule book of the recommended of the, the seating order. The only place it is is on the player boards and on the back of the player boards that honestly, if you're just setting up the game and you think you know how to play, you're not going to look at. Um, and so it's easy, easy, easy to miss. So player like players and Josh, like look out for that. Um, Glad I can help you with that one. But I will say this. The Lizard Cult and the River Folk, I have not played as the second Vagabond or gotten to play with those ones yet. But the Lizard Folk and the Otters, they were harder um, because you had to think a lot different than the original factions. And something that I then found after the first play, so I played as the Lizard Cult first. I'm like, that was a lot of fun. Um, and I actually got to do some cool stuff. And so there's a thing called dominance cards in which you can win by a different circumstance. And so the one that I had was control three of a certain type of clearings. Well, Josh, I also got a super high-level crafting card in which I essentially created a narrative in my head in which I summoned my lizard god, my dragon god, and I burned everything everything except my people in all of those exact clearings. And then everyone had to essentially rush back in and try and take control of those clearings because if they didn't, I would have won the game on my next turn by starting my turn. Um, But So that was a fascinating thing to experience. It brought out a nice new narrative. But I will say these factions were very different and harder. I will agree, especially with the Lizard Cult. The Lizard Cult is an incredibly different difficult faction to get at. But the thing that you said there that I really want to pick up on and really hit on, I mentioned this last time. I have a friend, I, I mentioned this when I talked about Wingspan. I have a friend for whom the Ludo narrative of a game means more than anything else. And this is his favorite game. And it is because of that Ludo narrative that the game tells exactly what you said. When you take an action like that crafting card that eliminates all other players, meeples in three different clearings, the story that that tells not through the cards, not through any 
storytelling, but through the actions that are taken are incredibly fun. It is really, really fun to think about these. We, we talk about the lizard cult recruiting or converting people as these rabbits and birds putting on these robes that look like lizards and pulling the hood over their head. And now they look like <laughs> wizard cultists and all of these different things. And, and we, you tell these really fun stories with the way in which this game plays. And that is, I think one of the things that makes this game shine and makes this game. People talk about this game in such high regard is not just the, the, playing of the game but then the stories that are created as you play the game and and the different ways in which you design you develop these these narratives about the characters that you're playing yeah and so um there's actually been a lot of work done by leader games behind the scenes to really develop and try and balance out these different factions but as you can imagine different powers and different mechanics and the the number of permutations that can come with this during different stages of the games is incredible incredibly high and so they've actually come out with an updated expand uh, updated rule set um and so i actually took a sharpie to my player boards yes i took a sharpie to them to update them based on the feedback from leader games saying hey um, we tried real hard. Now we're listening to our audience. We've been watching closely about how things are balancing out and they have offered some suggestions. And so I actually made those changes. So I actually took the Sharpie and changed the lizard cult and how often they can get extra cards. Um, the change some stuff with the Woodland Alliance on the number of points they get based on how much influence they have on the board um, and change some of those different aspects. And so just to let you know, the current, if you're listening and, and very interested in this game and want to go buy a copy right now, I'm going to also recommend you go on to BGG and look board game geek and look at that updated rule set. There's like five updated rules to the player boards that you might want to make note of. Um, and we're going to be talking about something in our next segment, which is going to be about current Kickstarters, um, which you can get those updated player boards. And also, if you're listening to this a while after the uh, original recording, um, which is and which is going live at the end of March of 2019, um, the third edition printing will have all of these updated rules in them. So they are the now new standard. So just wanted to let you know that. Um, but Josh, we've talked a lot about this. And so I'm just kind of curious, what are your closing thoughts? And then I'll wrap up with mine. I kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier. I had for a while, the last probably month and a half, pretty much written this game off. I, this is one of those interesting situations for me where I can look at this game and I can objectively say it is a really, really well-designed game. I, It is balancing a number of different factions that have different mechanics and it does a really good job of it. It facilitates some player interactions that are interesting and unique. It is just a generally, like, overall good game that I do not enjoy playing. (laughs) 
and and that's it's just a personal preference thing and i recognize that as a per- personal preference there have been some situations in my game group that have led me to say i don't enjoy this game and there are some specific facts designed around that there's been a situation in which i played with a person who just really rubbed me the wrong way with the way in which they played the game and that was a win at all cost lying to you know making an a, an agreement to take a certain action and then going wow. back on it to win themselves the game and i've had some situations where a new player is going in without a knowledge about what is happening and just because they don't know what they're doing or know what's going on really with the other factions being set up perfectly to stop someone from winning, but not recognizing it and not following other people's advice to take that action and allowing someone else to run away with the game. Right. There's, there's a lot of finicky parts to this game that when the first time, like I said, the first couple of times I played this, I loved it because it is a fun game to learn. It is really, really fun to learn and there's a lot to learn about it. But once you've played it quite a few times, I feel like you really need to play with the same group of people, people who you enjoy playing with people who aren't win at all costs type of players and people who recognize the strategies that the other factions employ so that one person doesn't just run away with the game. And so that's kind of been my experience with it. I, like I said, those are all circumstantial things that have diminished my enjoyment of the game. And so I would really like to try this game again with that setup with the setup of people who know what they're doing, know what everyone else's factions are doing and are just looking to have a good time and not necessarily win at all costs. And And so I I, want to give this game a second chance. And like I said, since you mentioned the, the seating chart, I think that dramatically changes some of my experiences that have occurred of people running away because of where they were seated, specifically the person next to the, the river folk running away with it just because they had access to purchase all of these cards. So I, I really am intrigued by trying this again. I want to try it again. I, I am looking forward to getting this back to the table and being able to come back and say, I had a much better experience and I hope that's the case. But as of right now, I'm, I'm kind of torn. Like I said, I recognize the fact that this is a good game. It's just not something that I have had fun playing in the past. Sure. Um, and before I give my final thoughts, Josh, I just want to say like some games like, also don't really work with some game groups and that's 
part of why I'm very glad that you and I are both on this so we can offer different perspectives from different game groups um, from different parts of the United States um, while having some while having a relationship in which we kind of we both understand each other and can hear each other out um, and one thing one lesson I learned while reading um, it's in the white box of board game design which comes with like chits and stuff but also a book and that was one of the rules of game design is that no rule set no game can ever fix players just to call that and so you just have to try and match up the games to also match the players but and so that's why we're doing this so you really have to learn your game group but then also learn these different things and so for me root is a game that i've had very different experiences every time i've played it but it is permanently living in my game bag right now um, it is a game that I bring to every game night. It's a game that I have no problem in bringing out and teaching and something we didn't even talk about and my apologies for not talking about this, but that the board is double-sided. And so there's a winter side in which you can randomly set up what the different clearing factions are. And so we've tried that out. It's just one of those games for us where I happen to have a very curious game group that wants to just try out some random things um, and that there's more of us than one of us, um, which it sort of sounds like you're experiencing. Um, that all being said, I've had difficulty in playing some of the races, and I don't know that I always want to play some of the factions. But overall, this is a game that I've had a lot of fun with, and I cannot wait to like see what else is to come. That being said, this game is awesome for me. It's, it's definitely one of my top games of 2018. Um, so check it out if you're hearing any of these things and it's driving with you go check it out there's a lot of videos um but also stay tuned because the next segment we're going to jump right into some current kickstarters that are coming out one of which is the third expansion to root and so if you're like those expansions sound cool or if you've played root and you want to dig deeper then really check this check this out and stay tuned cool okay ready coolio Yep. <laughs> One second. Just had to. Yep. Get that on my system. You're good. All right, listeners, welcome back for another segment. This is going to be our last segment of the episode. Um, this is not a segment we're going to have in every episode. It's really going to be dependent on what's going on um, and also if we're seeing anything out there that we really want to talk about or if y'all send in some things that you'd like us to cover. Um, but that is Kickstarters. So with it being when people are getting tax returns, just going to call it, uh, this is a season right now in which there happens to be a good number of Kickstarters out there in the world. If you are somehow unfamiliar with Kickstarters at this point, Kickstarter is a crowdfunding platform in which content creators go on and this website and they put their thing out there to the world and say, hey, I want to do this thing and they find people, if it vibes with you, you back their passion project and you help make this thing a, a reality. Board games is one of the largest, if not the largest segment of Kickstarter. It's bringing in a ridiculous amount of money and several of the Kickstarters we're about to talk about have already in themselves brought in over $2 million together. Um, actually, one of the Kickstarters has brought in over $7 million in itself. Um, but that's not where we're going to start. 
The first thing I'm going to start with is actually a Kickstarter that's already closed, but I want you to know about it because I think it's a good thing for the hobby and to learn more about the hobby. And if you're really interested in the hobby, you'll love this. So, Josh, Board Game Geek, uh, one of the founders, his name is Scott Alden. His goes by Aldi. Scott, or Aldi, we're just going to call him Aldi, partnered with another mm-hmm. gentleman. He's, Aldi's a phenomenal human being, phenomenal human being partnered with another gentleman who'd been going around for the last couple of years and interviewing board game designers about their journey, about what's it take to bring a game to market. And that is the game designers documentary. This is a motion picture about board games. And what it's going to be doing is it's tracking the lives of several creators over a couple of years, as well as has interviews with some of your favorite designers. Josh, I'm just going to throw it out there. They do have Jamie Stegmeier. Of course. They do have <laughs> Ryan Lockett. They have Martin Wallace. They have you name it. These people, there's like 25 plus designers, but they also focus in on a certain five to track over three years of experiences, whether it's going to conference, the Essen convention or going to board game geek in Dallas, going to Gen Con in Indianapolis. And I just think that's a cool thing for the hobby to have a motion picture. So I backed it because that is a dream that I think I want to use with students. I want to be able to pull in and like show people about. And so I actually backed to have my name in the credits. Just going to call that. I could not help it, but I had to um, because I believe in the mission of what was going on here. Um, so Josh, I'm going to turn it over to you. Well, first of all, did you see this? Did you know about this? Yeah, I actually... Um, so. I don't remember if we talked about it or I actually follow Bruce uh, on Kickstarter to see what he is backed. He's, he's creeping so on me. I am. I'm creeping on a lot of people, to be fair. But um, I actually I, I almost backed this at a producer level. I, based on my funding, decided the smarter decision was to back it at the $20 level. So I will be getting a physical copy of this DVD when it comes out because, like you, I agree. I think that I, this was one of those things that I very easily could have just sat on and paid less to get a digital copy when it came out or to watch it with somebody or whatever. But I really believed in this concept. I think this is a great thing for the industry. Um, and so I, I was thrilled by it and I'm really looking forward to see what this comes out to be. I think I I really enjoy documentaries just in general. And so I think the idea of having a documentary about this industry is, is only going to improve the, amount of focus that this industry has on it, or or at least I hope that's what this does. I think that this industry has grown a lot uh, in the last couple of years. I I actually want to throw this out there because you mentioned Kickstarter being, uh, or board games being a very big thing on Kickstarter. I just looked this up because I know I heard a story about it a while back. In 2017, to give an idea for how big the board game industry has gotten recently, in 2017, Kickstarter raised $137 million for tabletop gaming creators. That's just just in tabletop gaming. And also, tabletop just, gaming raised that much is ridiculous. I want to put that into some perspective here. 
video games, which also hold a pretty decent market share on Kickstarter, raised $17.25 million in the huh. same time span. So <laughs> when you think about this industry's growth in recent years, that over $110 million or just under $110 million more raised through Kickstarter in 17 than video games. Now, yes, video games are well-established as giant companies and tech companies and have a ton of billion, it's a billion dollar industry. But I think it speaks to the creators and their relationship to the consumer that it is crowdfunding that is really pushing the tabletop gaming industry forward. And so I think that this idea of a documentary focused on the creators, a creator of a video game has is, is dozens of people, if not hundreds. And it, it, you're, there's no relationship between the company and the consumer, mm -hmm. but that's not the case in tabletop gaming. We right. go to conventions and you run into these people or you see them and you are directly contributing to their success as a creator through Kickstarter. Plus, and just, so, yeah, <sighs> yeah, just gonna just gotta add this in here. Plus, there's another level that is board games literally bring people together at a table where video games can be solo. And so it makes sense that a more crowdfunding campaign is board games just to call it, but you're right. Keep going. Yeah. I, I mean, I think a, yes, I, I mean, that is what I love about board games and don't get me wrong. I play video games. I enjoy video games. I enjoy my alone time, but I enjoy the video the board game industry and the board game hobby because it brings people together around a table. That's what I love about it. And so I think one of the reasons why I'm such a big supporter behind this documentary coming out is for most people will never interact with a game designer beyond yes, I love your content and I am going to give you money to make that happen. I, that is a far more direct connection than you have with most industries that you're engaged with, but it's not getting to sit down and talk to somebody. So I really like the idea of being able to hear from these creators. It's why I listen to Jamie Stegmeier's YouTube videos and why I follow his newsletters. It's because I really like hearing from the people who are creating the content that I spend a good chunk of my time consuming and researching. And I mean, at this point now, me and you talking about yep. in this podcast, like yep. this has become a major part of my life and it, it really gets, helps me get through a lot of the stress of my day-to-day -day life. And so to be able to kind of hear from and connect in a different way with these designers and developers, I, I'm really intrigued. And so I'm really thankful that somebody has taken the time to do this documentary. And I'm really, really looking forward to what this is going to be when it comes out.
Yeah, and that's coming out in September of 2019. That's what the projected release of this, and that's for the digital copies of it. Um, so I'm going to change topics real quick, Josh, um, still within mm -hmm. Kickstarter, uh, but really talking about that engagement and getting to hear directly from the content creators. And that is the Critical Role, which is a um, phenomenal Dungeons & Dragons team, essentially. It's on Critical Role um, that puts together this amazing, amazing content in which they're playing D&D. Um, they're all voice actors, and they're coming together over this phenomenal thing called Dungeons & Dragons and role-playing games. Um, now, I remember growing up, and like the D&D &D kids were like the ones that were like super nerd, and I didn't actually want to play D&D &D for a long time because I didn't want to admit that I was that much of a nerd. Um, I am, and I'm proud of it. I love it, and my life has been changed by D&D. It's phenomenal. Um, but apparently so have a lot of other people's things, uh, lives, because Critical Role put out this Kickstarter, so they've been doing these amazing and immersive storytelling experiences playing Dungeons & Dragons on YouTube and on Twitch and have this really cult following. But what they wanted to do is they want to take that to another level and animate some of their former content and bring in like top level animators and really do some amazing content. And so they put out a $750,000 goal to make a 22 minute video. They funded $2.4 million in the first four hours of this campaign. There's over 20 days left of this campaign, if you're listening to this at the time of it going live, and they've already raised almost $8 million. They have blown through every single stretch goal. And yes, there are people pledging as much as $2,500 a person, $1,000 a person, $5,000 a person, $10,000 a person, and yes, even $20,000 a person and $25,000 a person which is nuts, but to say that this exp these things have been able to play out for these people in their lives is incredible, and I think the success of this is really showing how much cultures have changed over time, how bought in, um, and how impactful this content has been for people in their lives. Josh, I know that you and I didn't record a couple days ago because you were doing a Dungeons & Dragons night. So talk to me, like, what do you feel, like, what's been the impact of Critical Role, Matt Mercer, uh, what's this all been for you is this something that you stay in tune with so i i have struggled so i was very similar to you and so it, it's very funny i think i've constantly pushed the bar of what is a quote-unquote nerd that i'm not willing to accept myself as throughout my life so it used when i was a kid growing up i didn't play magic for a while because magic was too nerdy I played magic and I loved it. And then it became video games and I played video games and I loved it. And then it was wow. And I played wow and I loved it. And eventually it was like, well, my, my most recent hurdle was actually Warhammer 40 K, which we talked about a little earlier this episode, but for a while it was D and D and I didn't play D and D until I got into college. And the first time I sat down with a group to play D&D, man, did I love it. And has it changed my life? Like I have forged some really, really great friendships over the table at D&D. And it's really what kind of pushed me towards tabletop gaming in general. And that is, like I 
talked about my first time on this ep- this show was that is how I make my friends now is I, I play games. And so I've struggled getting into Critical Role because they have had such long form content that I just don't have the time to go back and start from the beginning and it's kind of hard to dive into the middle. But I understand. I I am a huge listener. Uh, I listen to two lo- actual play podcasts of D&D and or well role playing games at this point. And I I love them and I've grown with them and I really really enjoy everything that they provide me the content that I get to listen to so I'm not that surprised by how much critical role because like the the actual play podcasts I listen to are nothing compared to the listenership of critical role and I've known that for a while I've just never had a good jumping off point so I'm actually thrilled that this is because I believe if I'm correct me if I'm mistaken, but they actually went from a 20 minute video of this to a season of content at this yep. point that they're planning to put out. So essentially they're going to put out like a whole motion picture and then an entire freaking season of content, which is and ridiculous. So and I'm, I'm very proud of them and I'm happy for their success. Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled because this now gives me a good jumping off point. This gives me a way to introduce myself to critical role in a format that I have the ability to, to digest and get into without feeling overwhelmed and daunted. So I'm, I'm really, really excited about this actually. While I've never listened to Matt Mercer or any of critical role, I think this is a great way for people to get introduced to, to this, this content. Yeah, and I've actually I've thrown my hand into doing, being a dungeon master and a game master uh, for multiple formats. So that was D and D, that was Monster of the Week, and a couple other role playing games. Um, and I have a lot of anxiety when it comes to that. And so I actually watched Matt Mercer's videos that really helped me personally um, with some of that anxiety. So congrats to Critical Role and all of the success. Um, and so with that, we're going to move on to the next one. So we've talked about Critical Role. We've talked about this board game designers documentary. Josh, those are both from me. Um, what is something that you've seen that you want to talk about with Kickstarters? So the game that I am probably, I get as of recording this, I get paid in two hours. <laughs> and so probably the first purchase from that paycheck is probably going to be backing uh, the game Summit. And so Summit is a game that, popped up on my radar a few months back now this is actually the second kickstarter i believe uh for this game summit is a game based on the it is a racing game Hmm. that is mountain climbers racing to the peak of a mountain and i've heard a little bit about this game from some different people in terms of the types of, again, storytelling that this game creates. There's, you are racing to the top of the mountain with the goal of being the first to reach the summit, but that is not, from my understanding, how you actually win the game. You win the game by scoring the most points. So the difference between that is, for example, 
it is also partially resource management. You are mm. trying to conserve oxygen and trying to conserve food and energy while you are racing to the top of this mountain. And you can score some bonus points by giving your opponents some of your food or some of your oxygen and sharing with the people around you. Or you could lose some points by, say, cutting the rope of your opponent oh who's my gosh. also trying to race to the top of the mountain. And so there's some really fun story elements that go into this game. The Kickstarter that is live right now is actually for an expansion that is Teams. And so this is actually a type of game that I've become a little bit more interested in recently, which is rather than it is cooperative competitive. I'm I'm iffy on a lot of cooperative games. They tend to be not my favorite type style of game. But this idea of cooperative competitive of it is two verse two or three verse three is really intriguing to me. So that's actually what this Kickstarter is. Um, I'm definitely going to be backing it at this point just based off of the reviews I've heard about the base game, the fact that it is a team game, um, the fact that it is not, it is actually roughly the same price for the base and expansion as some of the other big Kickstarters that are out right now. I believe the base game is going at, uh, or the expansion is going at $25, and then the base and expansion is going at $89. It's a little hard to tell because it's all in Canadian. Yes, so that's the other thing is it is, sorry, that is Canadian. It is going about $67 for the base and the expansion and uh, $19 for just the expansion American dollars. Give or take, right? That's all dependent upon what the exchange rate's going to be. But I'm really looking forward to this game a lot, just based off of what I have heard from reviewers and from what I have seen. The theme seems really, really unique and interesting. It's the the gameplay mechanics look pretty interesting and unique so i i'm really looking forward to it yeah um i actually didn't know that much about this josh until you just brought this all up and i've been scouring the pages real quick um this sounds like there's a lot of really cool stuff going on and i'd definitely be interested in trying this one out if you're going to be picking it up yeah absolutely Okay, so I got another one for you, Josh, um, and that is, oh, first of all, listeners, because of the way Kickstarter works, some of these things are only open for a certain amount of time, and based on when you're listening to this, some of those things may have closed, so it might already be available at retail, um, but it's always worth going and checking out kickstarter.com to make sure, uh, because some of them do offer a late pledge where you can still get in on those deals, so do go check those out. Um, so Josh, I'm going to talk about one we've already talked about this episode, and that is the graphic novel Adventures season two. Um, so we were talking about this one before with the mystery based game this is from Van Ryder games. And so actually listeners, if you're listening to this at the time of it gets getting published, you're, we're going to have to probably jump in on this late pledge because this window is tight. Um, but they have had about 1500 people back this. They have way surpassed their goal of $30,000. They've brought in over $115,000 on this game. Um, but the interesting thing about it, it's not just that one copy game of mystery. 
There's two pirate-themed ones. Uh, one that, and talking with AJ about this, apparently somebody's overboard and you're immediately trying to chase them and um, get them back on board, but then you also stumble upon this island and things, and so it's just fascinating things going on. Um, there's an ex- another one, a different pirate-themed one that kind of continues that story, so it's cool to see two stories in the same universe that kind of continues the story. Um, and then there's actually two. So in the first season, there was one on Sherlock Holmes. And apparently that one was super popular. And so let's lean in. And plus Sherlock Holmes has a lot of different story opportunities. And so this one brings in two new Sherlock adventures. Uh, One is Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty, in which uh, in the original season one, you got to be Sherlock or you got to be um, his associate. And so you can either play as Sherlock or play as his associate, Watson. Um, In this one, you can literally be good cop, bad cop by being or like good cop, evil evil person um, and choose who you're going to interact with the people in the town with either you're going to choose to interact in more of a hard stance as Moriarty or Sherlock in the other way Um, and then another one is about Sherlock Holmes and the case of Irene Adler who another again is another famous character in the Sherlock Holmes series and then there's this mystery one each of these books by themselves is looking like it's going to MSRP for about $22 US. And you can choose different packages, whether it's getting two books or getting the full set of books, which actually will only cost you $75, which is like a super good deal on these. It's only like, what, like $13 a book um, to get all five of those. So that's pretty cool. Um, you cannot get the original ones um, on here, but you can get them from their website. So if you're interested in the ones from the other episode, just wanted to l- let you know that. So this is uh, Graphic Novel Adventures Season 2. Um, Josh, I know you've probably been looking at this while I've been talking um, and also pondering it since we talked about it earlier in the episode. So what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, I think I I said it before. Um, This is probably going to get backed by me. Uh, It is just based off of... The question at this point to me is really not the... um, If I'm going to back it, it is how many books I will be (laughs) getting when I back it. Uh, The superhero, I'm I'm really looking forward to, to trying that. Um, Sherlock Holmes is always one that is interesting to me. I like the fact that these are not, uh, necessarily all the same storyline. I like the fact that you don't have to back this all or nothing. I like that you can do one or two or three books to me. That gives me a little bit more of a easy entry into this this series. Um, you know, the fact that I can back at $20 for a book, that's, that's really, really helpful, right? Like I may or may in the board game hobby, we spend a lot of money on board games whenever, if you are a collector and you are really, really invested into it, there's a lot of money that can be spent. And so when you have such a low entry cost, that's, to me, that's really nice. It, it's it's a really great way to bring people in. I'm really looking forward to this. Definitely going to be checking it out. Um, I'm hoping that there is a late back to this 
so that our listeners can also jump in on it. I will say, um, looking at it, um, just to back up to Summit, Summit is also on the same timeline for backing as this graphic novels adventures. So again, there will be a very tight window if our listeners want to back it. Um, so uh, just just be on the lookout for that and and again hopefully these things a lot of them do are now doing late pledges and so i'm hoping that that our listeners will be able to late pledge some of these things yep um josh what's another one you got so the next one actually closed today womp womp um but i will say it is as of right now as of recording late pledging and that is the game iwari uh, I think I'm saying that right. It's I-W-A-R-I is it's how the, you spell that. The best that um, I can assume is how you say that. <laughs> yeah. So they describe Iwari as an abstract-like Euro game where players represent different tribes who endeavor to define their identity identities by traveling and expanding settlements. I'll be honest with you. The thing that attracts me to this is 100% the artwork. Yeah, it's pretty gorgeous. Um, the the board looks kind of boring um in terms of graphic design, but the rest of the artwork looks phenomenal. The the theme is not overly new, right? Like tribes settling different territories has been done a lot. But the mechanics in which you do that, the they have these um, uh, totems that you are erecting, it looks like, for control and some of those types of things. And uh, some of the uh, ways in which you're mechanically doing taking these actions seems pretty interesting. So I'm I'm intrigued by this. I'm looking at it a little bit more. Um, I'm kind of kicking myself for not backing it right now, but again, that's Iwari. Um, and it is as of right now available for late pledges. Mm -hmm. And so this game has actually tarot sized cards. I like when they do that and they're all with like a linen finish. Like this game looks super legit y'all. Um, and don't feel bad about like missing this one. I'm looking on the page. It was only on Kickstarter, Josh, for 16 days. Yeah, that Which is, is a, like I, that's a I, that's a tighter turnaround than usual. That is a pretty tight turnaround, but I mean, in those sixteen days, it got close to fifty five hundred backers. I mean, four hundred thousand euro. Yeah, this this did blow up pretty big. I'm I I'm really proud of these guys for for what they were able to do. I will say that this was pushed really hard, at least to me, on Facebook. Um, I saw a lot of advertisements for it. It's where I saw it first. Um, and so, I mean, props to these companies that are taking advantage of that social media and recognizing that there's an algorithm algorithm that exists to be exploited. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it gets the attention of people, right? And so I, I'm really, really impressed with the artwork and the graphic design or the artwork specifically on this. Um, and, and some of the, the, the component quality looks really, really nice. So I, like I said, check it out. If, uh, this sounds like something that intrigues you, uh, it's definitely looks really, really pretty. 
Um, so I got another one for you, and that is the Fail Faster Playtesting Journal. So this is more of like if you were looking to get your hands into like what's it like to design a game and then what's it like to prototype it all. Um, it's It says designing a board game requires a lot of creativity, uh, but also some discipline, but you, but you don't really know what goes into that playtesting. That all being said, this is a journal that will guide you through that process, um, and it gamifies the experience. And so every page, like double page, so if you open a book, you have the page on the left and the right, is a different playtest experience for you to walk your game through at the table with other players. And then as you do those things, I thought this was pretty cool. Um, it's either, depending on if they get enough people, it's either going to be like a scratch off, like a lottery ticket on the cover of the book, and so you're going to be able to uh, really like gamify your prototyping experience and then also be able to really make this all come together for yourself. It's just kind of cool. Um, these journals are super cheap. They're only like 10 bucks a piece. Um, and so if you've ever wanted to like get your hand into designing a game, like I would check this thing out, um, get that game design out there, but then this will help you with the prototyping. And so check it out and uh, we're going to move on to our next one now. All right. And so our next one we have for you, Josh, uh, this is your call. Sure. So the next thing I'm going to talk about, this is, man, I guess all of these Kickstarters are running at the same time. It ends in four days from recording. So right around the time that this will be coming out. But that is Feudum Rudders and Ramparts. So this was a game that I actually had not heard much about until BGG Con in November. And while we were there, the company uh, had a booth set up. Uh, they were displaying this, and it looks phenomenal. Just the artwork of this game looks really, really great. I love the visual aesthetics of it. Uh, this is the expansion to the game, Feudum. I have not backed this, and to be perfectly honest, probably will not just based off of the price, but it looks amazing. The base game plus the expansion is uh, kickstarting at $99 or more. Mm -hmm. The expansion by itself is running at 35. So if you have the the base game, it's a relatively reasonable price for an expansion. The issue I am having right now with backing it because it looks great. Uh, listening to people talk about it in reviews, it sounds really, really good. It also sounds like a game that will be my shelf of shame. It will be a game that will sit and sit and sit. The most recent ex explanation of this game I've heard is that it takes about an hour and a half to teach. So That's the base game. That's the base game. So I have some games that are like that. Anachrony I mentioned earlier. There I have Cerebria, which is made by the same company as Anachrony. I have some of those games, and I love them. They're great. They're phenomenal games. But really, when we talk about barrier to entry, this is another one of those games that just 
it has so many different mechanics in it that it's hard to teach. It's hard to get people interested. And when for my game group, because we're not at someone's house, we have a time limit. We have to be out of the store by midnight. And so if we don't get there till seven or eight o'clock at night, an hour and a half teaching means that that's the only thing you're going to do all night. And for most of the people we game with, it's just not feasible to do that. So I, I really am interested. This game looks really, really, really good. It's just unfortunately not going to be something that I can support at this point. But by the same token, this is a game that I would love to have if I ever had a game group that I could convince to play some of these heavier, meatier, deeper games with. Yeah, and Josh, this game looks phenomenal. It's got different art than a lot of different games, but I get it. Um, this is a game where I'd have to dedicate a lot of time to really learn and like really, really learn because everything I have seen about this game every single rule and everything in the game, you have to learn everything else because every single rule is dependent and has an impact on every other aspect of the game, um, which is awesome. But at the same time, for when you talk about like barriers to entry, that means you're having to learn all the game all the time. And that's not as digestible. That's not as easy to do. And I could see you spending that hour and a half and then playing and then still not fully clicking until you're almost done with that game. And then you really don't learn it until you're done with that. But that's a lot of time and you have to get it out again. This is a game I'd be definitely down to play. I'd be definitely down to try. I just need to know I am playing it in advance. So that way I can watch a ton of videos and read the rule book myself, um, maybe more than, probably more than once, and then dig in. And so I think, Josh, I'm right there with you on this. I think it's really freaking cool. I think the art on this game is phenomenal. Scrolling through this Kickstarter, holy dang, the way that they upgrade some of these components are freaking ridiculous. Um, mm -hmm. It is one of the most beautiful games I have seen. I will, I will give it that. But I think for me, and I think you and I can do this, this is a game when we go to a convention, if we plan time and we know we're going to be playing it, you and I can both read up on the rules and we'll, I'll gladly play this with you. I would, I would love at our next convention. This is, so this is similar to how I did Cerebria. I backed Cerebria. I knew it was coming. So I watched the video explanation of those rules before I got to the convention so that I would be able to play it when I got there. I would love to do that with this game because this is unfortunately the reason it didn't get played for me at BGG con. It was there. It was available for play. I didn't pick it up because it was an hour and a half video explanation for the rules. And at a con, you just don't have time for that, but I would love to try and pick this up next time where we're at a con where it's available for, for us to pick up and play. Yeah. Um, so the next one I'm real excited to uh, talk about, um, and that is Wormwood Table Tiles. Josh, like your eyes just lit up talk when I was talking about that, so I got to defer it to you. What's going on with Wormwood for you? So I, I have not seen much about these table tiles. I will defer to you to talking about them. Wormwood's just 
a phenomenal country. For folks who don't know what Wormwood is, they are a hardwood working company that designs wooden components as well as wooden accessories for gaming. They're... So, a game that I backed and really love, Tak. It's it's T A K. Really, great. really great abstract strategy game. They designed all the pieces for that. But really, what sets Wormwood apart? Their tables are amazing. Their tables are thousands upon thousands of dollars, but they're worth every penny. They're they use unique rare hardwood for all of their materials they're just to me they are the epitome of what if i had unlimited money i would buy wormwood products yep um so josh like again you hit the nail on the head there this is a little bit different though and it's not tables it's more of the accessory go um what these things are, so they like to also use like rare earth magnets to make some of these things. So Wormwood, besides for the tables, is also well known for making some phenomenal dungeon master screens for role playing games um, that have modular components in which you can like build them differently, including a dice tower, as well as um, like the insides of that dice tower, different screens that you can flip around, all sorts of stuff and modify them as you go using rare earth magnets to stick them together, embedded within these super high quality woods. What these are, these dungeon tile, these um, tabletop tiles are essentially little bowls that are look like a hexagon from Sellers of Catan. They're a little bit larger with divots in them or lines across them to hold your components. Um, just a really nice feature to have on your table uh, to, sh to hold your things. They do a really nice video. That's actually kind of cool. They have it where it's Gloomhaven set up with all these stuff set around, like these little cardboard components, and then it pans around the back of a player, and then all of a sudden, all those components are neatly organized in these things. And a really cool part about these is every single one of them, you flip them over, and they are now a high-quality wooden coaster with a cork inlay. And so they're also coasters for you. Um, and so if you're worried about gaming and having uh, condensation leak on the table, like this will take care of that. Um, there's been actually a really nice, phenomenal YouTube channel as well as Facebook presence for Wormwood in which they were explaining some of the challenges that they've had over the years in getting different CNC machines to cut some of the different stuff out. But if you have ever watched something we've already talked about, and that is Critical Role, Wormwood is the, are the people who made Matt Mercer's Dungeon Master screen. Wormwood are the people who made the giant table they play at with all the nice inlays. Like they make phenomenal products. I recommend you go check out their Facebook page and watch some of these videos about the level of care and detail that they put into these things. They're not just trying to put out a table or try to put out an accessory. Like they're putting out things that are going to increase and seriously bling out your table. This is maybe not for everybody because these things can be expensive. Um, like the there's only two real tiers to this it's like nineteen dollars um whether you want them in wave one or wave two or wave three and uh so you're going to be pledging there and you get for those nineteen dollars you're going to get one of these things um and that is if you're getting a single red oak solo tile 
Um, you can choose what type you want it to be, but if you want to go like, let's say black walnut, you're going to be paying even more. And so this, these are expensive and I cannot stress that enough, but it is worth it if you have the means because these things are freaking legit. Um, I wish I could afford this. The, 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 so the first thing I will say is go and look at this with the caveat of go and look at this if you want to feel really, really frustrated by not being able to afford it. Because you're right, it is it it is designed for a very special brand of person, which is the brand of person who has disposable income that is far above what I will likely ever make. Um, I would love, love, love to have one of these tables or to have a full set. Looking at these, um, I just saw the spellcaster tile for yeah. your D&D that tracks your spell slots. That's a really cool idea. It's really neat. I don't think I can spend $20 on it right now. But, you know, they it's just real i really love this company it makes me sad that i can't afford it but it makes me happy that there are people out there who have combined these two i, I love watching people's passion projects and it's clear to me that this company is a passion project it's people who love working with wood and making these making things with rare and exquisite and expensive and exotic woods who are also giant nerds and yep. want to enhance their board gaming and tabletop gaming experiences. So it really makes me smile to see some of these things, but it also breaks my heart that I can't buy all of it. Yep. And what's really nice is, so whenever you're watching these guys or they're at conventions, they're always wearing like these almost like it's back in the day craftsmen wearing this vest that a woodworker would wear. Um, the level of attention to detail they do with what they wear to the, what to their, what they wear, they work to what they put out there. They just always kind of raise the bar. Um, and they have been super successful in this. So they've got about 1500 people backing this almost 1600 and there's still a long time to go. So you're more than able to check this out and jump on this. If this is something that you were able to do, like I would go for this. Um, but they've already almost raised $200,000 doing this. Uh, because this is something that will really, really, really enhance your table. Um, and so that'll be really cool. So if you want to check that out, that is Wormwood Tabletop Tiles. Okay, Josh, we have one more to talk about. And this is one that we told the listeners we'd be talking about, but wanted to save it for last. Um, and that is Root, uh, the newest expansion. It's called the Underworld Expansion. So this expansion, what it adds in are two new factions, and those factions are essentially the moles that go underneath the board, as well as the crows, so another bird faction. Um, each of them is going to have, just like the rest of the factions, their own asymmetrical player powers, their own individual mechanics, game mechanics that are going to be different than other players. comes with two new boards, um, so that is one board that's double-sided, all the components for each of those factions. Uh, what's fascinating about this Kickstarter is that they don't have any stretch goals. There's none. And people have been like, where are the stretch goals? What's nice about this, though, 
and how Root has operated in the past is when the original game of Root came out on Kickstarter, they included the Riverfolk expansion for free. And so this expansion is just the expansion, but then for free, you get a new deck of cards to play with, all sorts of custom Vagabond pieces that you can pretty much only get with this, as well as new markers that are much more higher quality than cardboard, um, the resin clearing markers when you do the board that is more um, set up as you go or a different play style, which is really cool. Um, Josh, what are your thoughts on all this? So actually, this is something that uh, I, I kind of find really interesting. I really like the addition of this Vagabond pack. So one thing we didn't really talk about, we talked about the Vagabond being a trash panda, and that is the marker that you are given but that is not necessarily the character you are playing because the vagabond can actually be either a raccoon or an opossum or a honey badger um, so there's a lot of other options and so this vagabond pack i think is kind of fun and funny in that it provides meeples for all of these different types of vagabonds you can be. I thought that was really clever. I think the resin clearing markers, actually, I, I'm a big fan of that. I think it will help with especially the larger player count games um, where it'll make it a little bit easier to see what the clearing is or what each clearing is because that can be very important. Um the idea of a new game board uh, intrigues me. I'm a little bit, um, I, I have some questions about what that's going to look like and what kind of impact that will really have. But these new, new uh, expansion factions, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm interested. Uh, I want to know what their mechanic is. I think one of the things that makes this game really interesting is, like I talked about that ability to explore each faction uh, each time you play it. And so, yeah, of course, anytime you can add some more replayability, because to me, the fun in this game is learning the game. Uh, I think once you have it learned, I don't know, maybe, like I said, if I play it again with people who all know what they're doing, I will find some more enjoyment in it that way, but I really enjoyed learning this game. So I think these new expansions will be may, maybe make this a little bit more revitalize this a little bit more for me. Sure. And I can actually give you a little bit of information. So, um, the, the mole faction is called the great underground duchy. And then the crow faction is the Corvid conspiracy. So they actually, the crows have their own set of cards how they operate is they infiltrate other players' hands. And so they will actually put cards from their stack that are different into other players' hands. Now, what's fascinating about that is all those players are limited to five cards at the end of their turns. And so they're, like, they're limiting the powers of the other players, which is kind of cool. Um, what's fascinating also about Root and the way that Leader Games has gone about this this game has actually been available during the entire playtesting phase. If you went to Leader Games' website or on their Facebook page, you can get access to their Google Drive and playtest all of these things at home for free. 
And so you can actually go on right now and try out all these factions, print out the new map for yourself on your local color printer, and try this all out before even getting into this. Um, but you do have, you're going to have not as tight of a window on this one as you've had with some of the other ones we've talked about, um, but you probably have about a week from once this video, this episode goes live. But I will say that this, they had a funding goal of $25,000. This game has raised $1.1 million as of today, um, which is just ridiculous. All this is is the expansion. If you liked what we talked about with Root, you can also jump in and get everything uh, for $150. Now, you're wondering, maybe is that a good price? So the base game alone is a $50 game. Each of the expansions full retail is about $50. Um, and they are so in demand that you can only really get them at full MSRP. Um, but this is also going to include all of the um, extra free content in that $150. So the Vagabond pack, the um, every, the clearing markers, all that stuff. Um, but there's also some add-ons with this. So you can pay the $5 and get that root upgrade pack, which, Josh, that's what I was talking about when I was saying uh, I had to take the Sharpie to the board. So this will take care of all of that. But you can also now also add in automated factions, so not just the cats, but they're talking the other factions as well. Hmm. Yeah. So if you want to see that what it's like to play with the birds and the cats on the board, but you're the other things the cat birds and cats can be automated. Interesting. I, I think that's a really good, interesting idea. Um, I was a little bit confused as to why they, uh, didn't do some additional factions when they did the auto an initial solo. Um, I, I get that solo games can be hard to design, um, or, or automated games can be hard to design, but, uh, to me, the cat, are the least fun to, to play against. So I think this this is a really nice idea. Yeah. And so something else with this that honestly like has me like begging at the, the, the seams and like burning a hole in my wallet because I want to spend the money on this because I've already gone in on this thing. And that is the double-sided neoprene mat boards for the original board as well as the new board. And like that's $25 a piece like any game that I have that has neoprene mats, like I will play on that freaking neoprene mat because it's going to lay flat every time. It looks gorgeous. It's just phenomenal. Um, and so that's everything going on with Root. Um, I kinda, any other thoughts, Josh, on all this? No, like I said, I mean, this is definitely... I, I, have, I have my own personal experience with this game, but I really, realistically, I... I think this is a well-designed game. I think this is a great game. And I think if you're interested in the least bit by this idea of asymmetric gameplay and territory control and the theme of, of, you know, cute woodland creatures fighting against one another, I highly encourage you to take a look at it. It seems like a pretty expensive entry. It is it. 150 is a lot. If you're yep. going all in on this, absolutely. The the MSRP, like Bruce said, is is right there. I think it's kind of reasonable for what you're getting. The quality of the components are really, really good. Uh, you're getting a lot of wooden meeples and, and things like that. The the cards are pretty high quality. I, I think this is worth it in the long run if you have a group of people who are going to play it a lot and if you 
are, are, are intrigued by this style of game. So yeah, I, I like I said, it's it, it may not be something that I'm backing, but it's definitely I think something worth taking a look at if this is something that intrigues people. All right, and so that's all the Kickstarter updates that we have for you. Again, uh, many of those Kickstarters have some late pledges, so if you're hearing this at the time of the this going live, like do check those out because some of those have a very tight deadline, um, and we hope that if it piques your interest that you can jump on it. Um, but, Josh, how can the listeners get in touch with you? So, absolutely. Uh, again, my name is Josh Isringhausen. Uh, you can find me on Board Game Geek. I should really probably update this. I'm Bad Wolf 90. You can't um, update. That's stuck. I know. I know. I should really just create a new one. It's just a I Doctor Who Bad fan. Wolf. Not, it's a Doctor Who thing. B A D W O L F 90 at Board Game Geek. Uh, that's probably the easiest way to find me. Um, I am also following the Board Game Impact uh, Facebook page, Instagram. If you post things on there, I will respond to you uh, through those things as well. Yep. And again, my name is Bruce Brown. You can find me on Board Game Geek as Bruce Brown. Um, I know like sometimes you're supposed to pick a more clever avatar name and stuff like that, but I'm like, it's just my freaking name. I'm going to be me. Um, (laughs) um, But we just want to say thank you for listening to Board Game Impact. We hope that learning about what experiences that are going on for us makes a positive impact for you and your gaming group. Um, I also just want to put out there that I hope that trying out these different formats has been positive for you. Um, We'd really love to get some feedback on this. And thank you for those of you who have reached out. But we really want to keep hearing from some more people. Um, So email us at boardgameimpact at gmail.com. So if you also want to check out the website and learn more about Josh and see his stunning headshot that he has up there um you can go and check that out at boardgameimpact.com that being said we've added a really sweet new part of the website um that's a tab called games and gear so if you're curious about any of the games that we have been reviewing on the show talking about on the show or the or if you're a podcaster looking to get into more podcasting uh, all of the gear that we have up on that website is available Uh, through Amazon. That is the gear that we are actively using to record this show as well as the games that we are playing and talking about. Um, Just quick note, all of the proceeds that come through that will help benefit the show. So if uh, these games are something you're interested in, please go there, um, check those out, buy those because that will help fund this show and help us do more for you. So it's a win-win. So check that out, Games and Gear. Um, But again, if you have something you want to have discussed, please email us at boardgameimpact.gmail.com. Absolutely make sure to follow us on that Instagram Josh mentioned, which is Board Game Impact, uh, as well as like the Facebook page where we're also doing some videos, and that's Board Game Impact. Surprise, surprise. We also just want to take a moment to thank our phenomenal Patreon backers for supporting the show. Your support really makes this happen. Um, There's been some nice developments with those kind of things, and we're going to be updating some of the goals there now that we've added in Josh to kind of make this really be self-sustaining. So I'm just going to call it. I got a notice from our podcast hosting like, hey, you went over your monthly allotment, Um, and they're okay with that. But with that being said, because we're doing more content for you, um, that's really going to be enhancing how much content we're putting out. Um, That being said, that has increased the price of our hosting. And so if you can please, please, please go on and support the show. 
it would mean so much because this really is a passion project and we want to be able to keep doing this for you. Um, and also this is some of the most fulfilling stuff we're able to do. Um, leaving these two episodes has just been really fulfilling for myself and Josh. And actually real quick, Josh's fiance came into this episode for a little bit that I, I'm cutting out of this show, but she's like, he giddy. He was giddy like a schoolgirl um, after recording the last episode, and I'm gonna oh, I'm gonna call him out for that uh, because I was too, and I will own it. Um, but Josh and I are loving doing this, so please share this board game impact thing with your fellow gaming friends, so it can also help them. And rate the show on your favorite podcast app. But really, 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 just want to thank you for taking the time, Josh. Do you have any closing uh, closing comments? Once again, thank everyone for listening. Uh, thank you all for your support. Um, let us know what you think about this. I know we're running a little bit longer than what maybe Bruce had by himself in the past. Um, let us know if you if you like that, if you want us to try some other things or want us to talk about some different things. We're really just experimenting here and trying throwing spaghetti at the wall we want to we want to make something that our listeners really enjoy so thank you so much for listening and um uh, please go ahead and give us any feedback that you may have sure and if you like this episode or want to hear more uh please stay tuned and we'll be putting out a new episode in two weeks on tuesday um so until next time go have fun out there go play some great games and have a positive impact on the world thanks <laughs>